Welcome to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us. We want to help you to know God, find freedom, and discover your divine purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. We pray this message encourages you, inspires you, brings you hope, and builds your faith. Uh, we've been actually in the last couple weeks in a series called Red Letter Stories um, in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. Um, your Bible is divided into two parts or two testaments, um, or some people would say two covenants. Um, you have the Old Testament, which is the beginning, Genesis, all the way through the book of Malachi. And then you have the New Testament, which starts with the book of Matthew and goes all the way to the uh, book of Revelations, and which is the end times. And the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those four books primarily cover the life, the ministry, the teachings of Jesus. And in those four books, there are some uh, words that are printed typically in red, or maybe if you have the version Bible app, you'll see them in red as well. The red letters are the words of Jesus. So words he uh, actually said that were written down by his disciples. And so um, as I was praying about what God wanted to speak to us as we were leading up to Easter, he kind of brought me back to the parables of Jesus um, the stories of Jesus, so thus red letter stories. When Jesus would preach, um, the Bible tells us that he would always preach with a story. In fact, uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 33 and 34 has been kind of our, our basis for the series. I want to read it today from the message, uh, paraphrase version. It says, with many stories like these, he presented his message to them, fitting the stories to their experience and their maturity. He was never without a story when he spoke. So this is, this is kind of the behind-the-scenes look at how Jesus would minister, how his ministry happened. He would preach to the masses. He would preach in the temple and in the, in the wilderness and by the seashore. Everywhere he would go, he was teaching and preaching. And right here it says he was never without a story. He was always teaching people what the kingdom of God was like through a story so that they could understand um, we, we, we say, Jesus, on your level. Um, I, you know, I like to think, like, sometimes when, when, when people talk about the Bible or theology or, or God, you know, we try to make it overly confusing sometimes. <laughs> you know you know, you know what I'm talking about? It's like I'm swimming in the deep end of the pool on my first day of lessons, and I'm, like, drowning over here. Like, I, like, I, I, I just like that when the cookies, you know, let's take the cookies off the top shelf. Let's put them on the bottom shelf where everybody can access it. You know what I'm saying? God is not a God of confusion. He's not a God of putting things out of your reach. He's a God of order. He's a God who's uh, uh, interested in everybody being able to receive the message of life so that everybody could experience Jesus. Right? That's why he's saying here, he's fitting his story, his message to their experience. Wherever they are in life, that's what he was trying to relate the kingdom of God to. So there's this, there's this side where he's preaching to everyone he comes in contact with. But look at the next verse. When he was alone with his disciples, he went over everything, sorting out all the tangles, untying the knots. In other words, like, he didn't want it to be confusing. He didn't want the kingdom of God and the principles of the kingdom to be something that only the spiritually elite could understand. 
Jesus' goal was that every single person could understand. And I love that phrasing, that wording, because sometimes I need God to like, Lord, help me untangle the knots here. What is this supposed to mean? Like, uh, help me untie. Anybody ever feel that way? And it's just good to know that we weren't the only ones to ever feel that way. And Jesus actually came to help us untie the knots in our life so that we could have more understanding. So the first week, uh, we talked about the parable of the sower, uh, which Jesus said was the key. It was the key to understanding all the other parables. All of his other sermons and teachings, Jesus said the key was the parable of the sower. And then last week we looked at the parable of the talents, which Jesus was teaching about what we do with what we have matters a whole lot in view of eternity. And, and of course, those messages are available for free on our podcast, our YouTube page. You can get them there. Uh, today I want to look at the parable of the great banquet. Anybody like to eat? <laughs> that was the best amen yet today. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, the parable of the banquet. Um, I love this because uh, it kind of just relates to where we are in life. And if you have your Bibles, uh, maybe the Free U Version Bible app, you can turn there to Luke chapter 14. We'll start in verse 15 today. Um, and normally I preach from the NIV. Uh, if you're ever wondering what version of the Bible, uh, if they put it up on the screen, It'll be the NIV. If you don't hear me reference what version it is, I'm reading from the NIV. But today, I want to read this, this parable, this story from uh, the Passion Translation, uh, just, just so you are aware. Uh, as you're turning there to Luke chapter 14, let me kind of give you some context of what's happening, kind of set the scene for this, this parable so you know what's taking place. Because sometimes we know these stories, we've, we've heard the parables before, but so often they're not in the context of what was happening. And, and, and I believe the context kind of gives us a deeper understanding of what Jesus was actually trying to communicate. And here in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is traveling from city to city, ministering in places. And he, he comes to a city and he gets invited to dinner uh, with a Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee would have been like a, a religious leader like a pastor, a well-known person in their city who was a spiritual leader, invites Jesus to his house for dinner. Now, this wasn't like a one-on-one -on -one dinner. This was a dinner party, y'all. Come on. This was, a, this was a party. There was lots of important people invited. And it says that uh, as they're there at the party, that people are trying to get to the most to, to sit at the most honorable places that, you know, everybody's jockeying for that position. Did I get to my seat? Kind of like when people come in and somebody's been sitting in your safe seat on Sunday and you're like, why are they sitting in my seat? Some of y'all didn't catch that, but there are no safe seats here, okay? <laughs> Some of y'all get that on my hand. That was funny. I don't care what y'all said. <laughs> Praise the Lord. They're at this dinner party. People are there, and it says that everyone was trying to get close to Jesus. They're all watching him closely because they're not sure about him. They, they hear what he's been teaching, and it's kind of been controversial. And so they're watching him very closely. And what, what's interesting about this is that in this room of well-to-do people, of rich people, of people who had influence and leadership, of people who were uh, spiritual leaders, there was a man there just out of, out of context a little bit. It says uh, the way they describe what was going on in his body, doctors today have called that the disease this guy had dropsy, where there was basically swelling of fluid all over his body, on his face and everywhere, and he probably just looked a little bit like the marshmallow man. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and he's there at this dinner. 
And he would have stuck out like a sore thumb at this, at this meal because everyone there would have had the external looking in order and just, just looking a little bit fine like you see right before you today. You know, y'all didn't have to laugh that much. Um, wow. <laughs> but Jesus did something amazing in this moment. He, he said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Because this happened to be on a Sabbath, and, and people started trying to throw all this religion in his face about caring for people on the Sabbath. And Jesus was like, enough. He healed the man and sent him on his way. And, of course, all the religious people begin to judge him because religious people are more concerned about the checkboxes on the outside versus the condition of their heart and caring for people. And so Jesus would heal the man, send him on his way, and then he begins to teach the people and said, hey, rather than trying to pick the best seat in the house, you should pick the lowest seat in the house. Live with humility and let someone raise you up. And Jesus then in this, in this time, and he's, he's speaking to people, he looks directly at the host, the one who invited him and just throwing this dinner party. And he said, hey, next time you throw a dinner party like this, don't throw it for all your rich friends because they'll just pay you back and then you'll have received your reward. Instead, throw a dinner party for those who don't deserve it, for those who are outcasts and those who could never pay you back. And then God will pay you back. I don't know about y'all. I'd rather have God pay me back than y'all. You know what I'm saying? And as they're gathered around the table, the more that Jesus is speaking, the quieter the room begins to get. Everything starts to get a little settled. And the buzz of the crowd and people and dishes and food and all that kind of stuff, everything starts to kind of calm down. And Jesus is saying some controversial things. He healed somebody on a day he wasn't supposed to do things. And quickly, all the attention is getting focused on Jesus. And the room is getting quieter and quieter. And all of a sudden, you can hear a pin drop. All eyes fixed on Jesus. And it's in this context, in verse 15, this guy yells out, one of the dinner guests said to Jesus, someday God will have a kingdom feast. And how happy and privileged will be the ones who get to share in that joy. Doesn't that sound like that dude's been praying for three hours that day? It sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? He's like talking about the kingdom of God, how he's like speaking in the King James, how happy and joyful thee shall be when thou star in the presence of the most highest God. Like, you know, have you ever been next to somebody who prays that way and then it's your turn to pray next and you're like, I didn't learn to pray that way, you know, like pray with a southern accent a little bit, you know, Lord, bless these Cheetos, somebody, you know, anybody, just, just me, okay. I just kind of make sure y'all are out there today. Come on. Church is supposed to be enjoyed, not endured. You know what I'm saying? But if we're honest, we probably all have a little bit of this guy in us, right? Because we want people to see us as more spiritual, in a better spiritual place than maybe we are. We want to have the perception of having spiritual elements in our lives. But when we get behind closed doors, I wonder what it's really like. I wonder what's really rolling around in our motives. Is it really that we are drawing close to God or is it just we're concerned about the outside? And while this guy is sounding really spiritual and what he's saying isn't necessarily wrong, the facts of what he's saying are, are, are true, but it's just incomplete, right? He's saying, hey, one day, 
We'll be with God in heaven. Like one day the kingdom of God will be part of my life. You know, what he's basically doing is kicking the spiritual can down the road. As in one day, God, when, I, when I'm ready for you, then I'll serve you. God, one day, once I've done what I want to do, then I'll see if Jesus has anything for my life. One day, God, I'll serve you. But right now I'm going to do my thing. That's basically what he's saying. And Jesus' presence at this dinner, Jesus' presence on the earth, was evidence that one day wasn't far off in the future. That was then. Like, the kingdom of heaven is not one day. Like, it is now. It is now. And Jesus answered him this way. Verse 16, Jesus replied to this person who's talking about, oh, one day in the future, someday the kingdom of heaven. Jesus replied, answered him, said, there was a man who invited many to join him in a great feast. When the day of the feast arrived, the host instructed his servants to notify all the guests and tell them, come, for everything is now ready for you. So it's that day. You're going to your friend's house. You're going to the dinner party and uh, celebrating and eating and, and having a great time. And it's time to go to the party. And so the invitations have gone out. The tables have been set. The food is ordered. It's been prepared. And it's time to eat and enjoy. And here's this guy waiting for the guests to come. Hopefully this never happens to you, that you throw a party and no one comes, you know, but uh, that's what's happening here. And this is a picture, Jesus, this story is a picture of the kingdom of God and how people respond to it. Do we see this today? The guy's talking about one day the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus is like, let me tell you a story. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who's throwing a party, and everything is ready and saying, hey, now it's time to come in the party. It's now. And we're about to see how people respond. The story goes on. One by one, all those who were invited made excuses. Hopefully this doesn't happen at your dinner parties. You get everything ready, order all the food, make a ton of guacamole. Come on, somebody. And then people start, oh, I can't make it. I got that six-hour flu that's going to keep me from coming. And meanwhile, I didn't see your text, but I was posting eight times on social media. That's nobody here, I'm sure. You know, so often excuses run rampant, don't they? And here Jesus is saying that there will be people who make excuses to God's invitation to come into the kingdom of heaven. And I believe it's really a multifaceted view of the invitation into the kingdom of God. Because the invitation is open to anyone. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is speaking and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and anyone who will open the door of their life and allow me to come in, I will come in. It's not like, mm, if you've been good enough, I'll come in. Oh, if, if you've done enough right things, then I'll come in. No, he says, just, if you will open your life to him and invite him in, he will come in. Like, so the invitation is open. Anyone can receive Christ and come into the kingdom of God. It's not based on your past or how good or bad you think you've been. It's not based on how big your bank account is or, or where you were at last night or what you were drinking or smoking last night. No, that has nothing to do with Jesus' invitation to give your life to him. It's just an open invitation. And there's, there's people who are on that side of the invitation. They don't know Christ. They don't have a personal relationship with him. But I believe this is also a view of people who know Christ See, once you know Christ, God has a call on your life. He's calling you into more that he has for your life. He's, he's given you assignment, something for your life to accomplish. And he's saying, I have everything you need. Everything has been prepared. Everything is ready for you, all the joy that you need, 
All the strength that you need. All the peace that you need. All of the wisdom that you need. All of the assurance. All the resources. All the, all the, 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 the stuff you need to make it through the storms of life and everything that's going to come at you and try to get you to give up. He has everything prepared for you. It's all ready. And what's our response? One by one, it says they made excuses. Some people, here's the first one. It says, one said, I cannot come. I've just bought some property and I'm obligated. Everybody say obligated. Obligated to go and look it over. So the first excuse is natural possessions. Here it is. He says, I've just bought some stuff and i got to go take care of it. I'm obligated. And isn't that, that's the lie of things that our culture sells us is that we have to have things. That we have to do things. Like, there is no obligation. Like, the obligation is really once you leave this earth. Then the obligation will be if you are going to pay for your sins or if, you're gonna, if you had allowed Jesus to pay for your sins. That's really the only obligation. Right? And that decision is made on this earth. That's why I say God doesn't send people to hell that he's mad at. People make the decision to go to hell when they reject Jesus as their Savior and say, I'll pay for my own sins. See, sin is only paid for by death. That's what's so powerful about the cross is that Jesus, the spotless, sinless Son of God, went to the cross and shed his blood, died to pay for the sin of all humanity. That's why when you put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, that your sin is forgiven. Then through the resurrection of Jesus on the third day, which we're going to celebrate next Sunday, come on, we are then in our spirit raised to life with him. That's the miracle of salvation. But it's this whole thing of where, you know, we, we're fed this lie of you're ob- you have to do these things. No, we actually don't. You, the only decision that has to be made is whether you're going to receive Jesus or not. Uh, and that's a decision each individual person has to make. What's so crazy to me about all these things, you know, the stuff that's all around us is just, just drive down the street for just a few minutes and, and just count how many storage facilities are being built isn't it crazy? Anybody notice this? Like it seems like left and right everywhere you turn, they're cutting down some trees and building some storage units. And those things aren't cheap. <laughs> they are expensive. So apparently we got a problem, y'all. We got so much stuff that our houses don't have room enough to contain all the things that we have and we've got to pay somewhere that we don't live and never go to to store stuff we never use and don't see and don't really know what's in there, but we just got to have it. (laughs) And then we complain about how we don't have enough. God, I just don't have enough to give. God, I just wish I had more of this and if I then I could really be happy while we're texting on our iPhone 13. And it's, listen, this is not about guilt or, please, you know, it's not about throw away all your stuff and just go live in the dirt. No, that's not God. God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to have abundance. That's why he's the God of more than enough. That's why he said, I, I want you to prosper and be in health. Like he wants you to, he doesn't want you, what kind of representative of his would you be if you were broke, busted, and disgusted? No, I, I believe that's why people are not rejecting Christ necessarily, people People reject the package we put on him. 
we put rules and regulations on him. We put our, like, our own hang-ups on him. We put our, you know, well, you just got to just give up everything and not have anything good on him. No, no, that's not him at all. Jesus is, Jesus is good. Jesus is abundant. So he, it's not about not having stuff. Like, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Like, I think that the best representation that we can be of God is living in abundance, of having more than what you need so that you could give some away. Isn't that what the blessing is? Is more than what you need and deserve so you can be a blessing to somebody else? Like, that's why God blesses us. It's just, it's just that it's so easy to kind of slip into all this nat- the world's way of thinking and we got to have more and more and, and more. And so we're not going to slip into guilt. Honestly, I believe God gives give people uh, anointing on your business. He gives us anointing in our lives to be able to make funds. And some of you know, small business owners, God has anointed your business to grow and to prosper and to, uh, to accumulate and to do these things and to have influence so that then you could be a kingdom builder in the kingdom of God and release resources across that way, right? Because people in our world desperately need the life-giving message of Jesus. Every day, people are leaving this earth, dying and stepping into eternity. And the mandate is on the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of every nation. Like, it's, it's up to us. So let's be clear. God doesn't have a, mind us having stuff. But he does mind when we prioritize the stuff more than his kingdom, right? That's the excuse. I, I'm obligated to do this. I'd love to be a part. I'd love to serve. I'd love to, I'd love to help out. But I can't because I've got to go Whatever else it is, right? Like, there's the excuse there, but we're going to be those. We don't live in excuses, amen. Here's the second excuse. Another said, please accept my regrets, for I have just purchased five team of oxen, and I need to make sure they can pull the plow. The second excuse is the excuse of plans. I've got things to do, places to go. If no one takes care of this stuff, then who will? I've got a plan for my future. I've got to take care of my kids. We've got to be there. We've got to be there, and then do this, and then do that, because if I'm not pushing them for their future, who knows what they're going to be, you know, like... Uh, the, the reality is, is that while I know your kids are the greatest sports stars ever in history, um, not all of them are going to get a scholarship to college. And even the ones that do of those are going to, the percentage is like, in, like mi- minuscule that turn into professional athletes. Some are called into that, and I'm all for that. I'm not saying don't play sports, but I'm just saying what's the priority? Is it our plans, our calendars, the things that we have, or is it something else? For other people, it's their me time. It's the reverse. Like, I can't do this because i got to live my best life. You know? And Jesus is like, listen, I've got the best life for you. Look what he said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Doesn't that sound like our, our world right now? Find your truth. Do what makes you happy. If it feels good, do it. If it seems right to you, that must be it. Well, that's why people are empty. That's why more people than ever are addicted to drugs, are addicted to painkillers, are on something, or or trying to find it in another solution or that, because what they've been told ain't working. Jesus told us that would happen. Whoever finds their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake, for whose sake? It's open book test for whose sake? His sake. Yeah, Jesus' sake. What is Jesus' sake? What did he tell us to do? 
It's the Great Commission. Go into all the world. Like giving our lives for what he's called us to do. He says if you lose your life, if you give your all, you give your life, then you will find it. You will find purpose. You will find life. You will find abundance. You will find meaning. Science has proven the happiest people on this life are the ones who live that day to make someone else's life better. It's just a scientific proven fact. And Jesus said it right here. So whatever it is, a team or a hobby or a Netflix and chill or whatever, like it's fine. But it, when it begins to be the thing, like I live for this. This is my everything. I can't, I can't be involved or be a part or, or I'm sorry because of this. Like then it becomes our excuse to move away from the kingdom of God. Well, I'm just saying we have the opportunity to serve the king of all kings. Come on. You can, you're free to do whatever you want with your life, with your time, with your resources, with your family. Like, go for it. Do it. Like, I'm just, I'm just letting you know what Jesus said would happen. There will be those that make excuses. That's why, like, uh, when, you know, early, early in ministry for me, like, I had to learn this lesson. Like, because everybody has different things they're going to do. And I'm not even in, like, I'm not even here to try to control you. Please don't misunderstand. Like, I'm just here as a tour guide to say, this is what Jesus said would happen if you go this way, and this is what Jesus said would happen if you go this way. I'm going this way. Let's go, everybody. And then you decide which way you go. Like, but just know what Jesus said would happen. Here's the third excuse. Another said, I can't come because I just got married, and that's a little funny. I don't care. This is the third excuse. Relationships. Relationships, man, they're such a huge Thing in our lives and any newlywed person would be like yeah I can't, I can't. <laughs> that's funny I don't care many people are putting their relationships over everything whether that's their marriage or dating or friendships or whatever it's so prevalent to people to walk away from a place because of a relationship that that got out of hand that got prioritized when God never instructed us to be pulled away or or to uh, move a relationship in a dating relationship it's so common now in our world for people to date and to live together and do married things before they're married as if that like listen that's not God's way and, it, and if you're living that way, listen, it's not, to, it's not to condemn you or anything like that, but it's just to say, hey, God has a way, and if we'll live his way, then he'll be involved. And there will be blessing, and, and his way is better. And that's why I say it's like we're not worried about yesterday. We're, we're, we're from today forward. Come on, somebody. This is a message of hope. The, the thing we've got to realize is in our, in our relationships, we've got to quit trying to be like the world and just mix in a little bit of Jesus on the weekends. That's what people are, that's why people are rejecting Jesus, because we're putting that package on him. Our lives look the same as, as people who don't know him. We watch the same things. We talk the same way. We curse the same way. We don't really believe differently. We say we do, but then our, our decisions and our lifestyle show that we kind of believe the same as everybody else. But then we come to Sunday and we're like, okay, I spent my hour or so in church this morning and I'm good to go. Jesus is, didn't go through the cross and everything he did just for your hour and a half on a Sunday morning. He, he did that for all of you. And if you want to see him moving in your life, like, then it, like, it starts by he just gets to be part of everything. He's the main ingredient. My pastor used to tell me all the time growing up, he said, Chris, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. 
The servant reported back to the host and said to him all of their excuses. So the master became angry and said to the servant, Go at once throughout the city and invite anyone you find, the poor, the blind, the disabled, the hurting, and the lonely, and invite them to my banquet. When the servant returned to his master, he said, Sir, I've done what you've asked, but there is still room for more. So the master replied to him, All right, go out again. And this time... Bring them all back with you. Persuade the beggars on the streets, the outcasts, even the homeless. Urgently insist that they come in and enjoy the feast so that my house will be full. That last line, man, is so, like it just convicts my heart. Like urgently insist. One translation says compel them. Like, Sometimes I think we're more, when we're talking to people about Jesus, like we're more concerned about how we come across rather than just like, ins- like, just like compelling them to come in. Like, so we, listen, we've got to make Jesus appealing because he is. There is nothing greater in this life than serving Jesus. And we've got to get back to the place where the message doesn't change. The method might But the message of Jesus never changes. That's why we do things like on Easter, we're going to have 10,000 eggs we're going to give away. Because if it's a method to get some people to come to church that might not come to church, listen, I'm going to do it. Because I'm going to have the opportunity to share the life-giving message of Jesus. Because you're going to have the opportunity as the church, as the team, to love them and to serve them and help them get connected into their purpose. Come on. This is why we do at the movies in the summer. It's not for entertainment. It's so that we can reach some people who might look at church and be like, that's dumb. I don't want to go. But they might come because we're talking about and showing some parts of movies and sharing. Are we getting this today? Like he says, urgently compel them to come in. It'd be like if your house was, your neighbor's house was on fire in the middle of the night and you woke up, what would you do? You'd go outside and be like, hey guys, your house is on fire. You should come outside. You won't burn out here. It'll be okay. If that's how you're going to act, please don't be my neighbor. (laughs) Won't you be my neighbor? Come on. No, what would you do? Like, get out of the house! The house is on fire! You would beat the door down. But why don't, we, why don't we treat the message of Jesus this way? Because listen, the house is on fire. Every day, somebody's stepping into eternity. And bummer for the lost people when, when we're more comfortable just having, our, having it our little way in the church. Come on, we gotta wake up. He says, urgently insist, compel them to come in. He says that my house will be full. See, that's God's desire for his house, that it would be full. That's why I believe every church has to grow. Every church has to grow. Not to say, look how big my church is. Like, that's nonsense. Like, I'm not in this for competition or like a badge or whatever. No, we're in this for, to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and connect them to their purpose. Every church has to grow because there's people in our city. Otherwise, what are we here for? We're not here to have a nice Christian country club for the frozen chosen. You know what I'm saying? You're not here to be a bump on a log. You're here to be equipped, the Bible says. The saints are to be equipped to do the ministry. It doesn't say that my job is to do the ministry. 
My job is to equip you to do the ministry. So please don't ever get near me and say this church is too big. I just can't connect with anybody. Nobody knows me. If, if we ever get to that place, then we've stopped loving people. Then our love for the lost has grown small. Don't ever get near me and say that. Just keep it to yourself. No, the church has to grow because people need Jesus. People don't need more self-help. They don't need more whatever else. They need Jesus. They need hope. They need healing. They need restoration. They need somebody who will get down with them and say, come on, I've been where you are. Let me help you stand up. You're not, all is not lost. It's not too far. It's not too late. Just come on, just come to Jesus. That's what our world needs. That's why I believe that there should be several Sundays throughout the year. Maybe not every Sunday, because that's a lot, you know, but there should be several Sundays throughout the year that someone is sitting next to you that you invited that doesn't know Jesus. Several Sundays, that's like Easter's a great Sunday for that. That's why we do at the movies. So we do things like when we do football Sunday, uh, 30 second theology, and we use Super Bowl commercials and um, and things like that, when we do fall festival, and when we do things like, like those should be Sundays that you have somebody that you know in your life that doesn't know Jesus, that you invited and is sitting next to you. And here's why, because there will be that moment at the end of service when all the heads are bowed and all the eyes are closed. Listen, I give you permission to peek. Just, just kind of, you might have to be more, more nonchalant about it, but just peek over there because when you see them raise their hand to receive Jesus, You better, that will just, it will mess you up in the best way possible. Like, you'll say this was the best Sunday ever. And it won't be because, uh, you know, a shoe game was strong. It won't be because the message was great or the worship was awesome like it was today. No, it'll be because God used you to help bring somebody into his family. Like, there's no greater joy. The Bible says he who wins souls or brings people to Jesus is wise. And so if you've been struggling, like, God, I need wisdom, start sharing your faith with people. Start bring, introducing people to Jesus. And, and on the same importance as, you know, as, as sharing our faith is also discipling people. Discipling is the part where that's helping people who already know Jesus to know him more. So when Jesus gave us the Great Commission, he gave us two parts, evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism is a fancy Bible word that means sharing your faith with people who don't know Jesus yet. That's what evangelism is, okay? So it's not so scary now, is it? No, it's just like helping, introducing somebody else to Jesus. Discipleship is for those helping someone who already knows Jesus to take another step in their faith, to grow to know him more. And as a believer in Christ, all of us are called to both. Look at your neighbor and say, you're an evangelist. Look at your other neighbor and say, you're a discipler. Yeah, we're all called to evangelism and discipleship. Let me show you this in the story so you don't have to believe my word for it. Maybe you'll believe Jesus' words. Look at how the story ends. Verse 24. I say to you all. Now remember, the master has invited people and he got the three excuses. The stuff, the plans, the relationships. He sends his servants back out. Find anybody you can. Bring them in. They do. That's, there's still empty seats around. And he says, go out and compel them. Whatever it takes, fill up my house and Jesus says, verse 24, I say to you all, right now, this is him gathered in this dinner party and everyone's paying close attention. The one who receives an invitation to the feast with me and makes excuses 
will never enjoy my banquet. Did that hit anybody else like a ton of bricks? Like, that's a strong statement. What was the banquet the representation of in the story? Remember, the guy was like, the kingdom of heaven one day will be there. And Jesus is like, no, the kingdom of heaven is now. So the banquet was, is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, right? And Jesus is saying that there is an invitation available to anyone. But he says those that respond to this invitation with excuses, Jesus is saying the end result is that we will miss out on life. We will miss out. That's what he's saying right here. I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, when I leave this earth and I, I stand before him in the seat, before the seat of judgment, I, I want to be on the side that says, man, I gave everything I had to make sure that everybody knew how to find Jesus, that, that my life was given. The maximum that I could do to share the gospel of Jesus was given. I don't want to be on the outside looking in, but I had these things to do. And, you know, no, I want to be on the inside. And honestly, that's my prayer for all of us I don't want you to be on the outside looking in come on I want us to be on the inside come on anybody with me we're gonna be those like we're gonna put excuses aside and say God whatever you have for me I am all in how do we live this way with intentionality and purpose right I I, want to give us two truths from this story um, that I I believe will help us kind of live in this kind of intentionality in evangelism and discipleship first one is this the first truth is that God wants you at his banquet. 100%, without a doubt, 110%, God wants you in his family. He wants you to be a part. You have a seat at the table. And the only way to accept it, to enter in and be welcomed into the family of God is through faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, giving your life to him. That's the only way to accept it because Jesus is the only way. You don't have to receive it. You should, but you don't have to. No one's going to force you. No one's going to make you. And you can't ride on the coattails of mama and daddy or whatever. No, it's an individual decision that every person has to make on this earth, whether to receive Jesus or to reject him. In the story, Jesus is making it clear. The master wants people at his banquet. He said, I want find whoever you can, whoever's willing to come. He said, but there will be people who are supposed to be in the, in the, in the banquet. People, uh, apparently these were people who already knew the master and he already knew them. That tells me there will be Christians that should be in the banquet, but they're consumed with the excuse. They had already received the invitation. They knew about it because he already said, he said, the invitation has been done. Now everything's ready. Just come on in. They, they knew about it, but even knowing, they made excuses. Not wanting to be a part of it. Jesus said it this way, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Come on, are we getting this today? Whether you're a a Christian or not, God is deeply invested in you being at his banquet, in you being in his family, in you being in his kingdom. I think it's interesting in this story that there were those specific people that knew the master. They, 
They, they should have been there. They, they should have experienced the very best of what the master had, but they got distracted. They lost sight of the value the master had. I wonder sometimes if that's not what happens in our lives. We, we start serving God. We start doing some things, but we just get distracted by sometimes good things, sometimes things that aren't even wrong, but just pull our focus off of the immense value of the master and knowing him and what he's called us to be. And here Jesus is just reminding us that if we choose to live for something other than his plans, his glory, his purpose, if we choose to hold on to everything and consume everything that we have, making excuses that God would look for someone else to fill the spot we should have sat at. I believe we're in a season where God is looking for people who are bold enough to say, God, I'll give everything. I'll give, uh, like, nothing else matters but knowing you. Come on. People who are bold enough in a season to say, God, I want your plans and your purposes more than my own. Here's the good news. God is no respecter of persons. I love that. He's not looking for people who are the most qualified. He's not looking for people who have it all together. And I'm thankful because I don't have it all together. <laughs> you know, he's just looking for people who will be like, okay, God, if you can take this broken, messed up person and do something with it. If you want me, God, you can have all of me. Like that's what God is looking for. I, I love the scripture that says that God is looking for those whose hearts are turned towards him. Right? He's looking for those whose hearts are right to be near to him. So that's why I always say it's never too far. It's never too late. Because the God we serve specializes in bringing dead things to life. Here's, here's the second truth from the story today is that, number one, God wants you at his banquet. Number two, he wants you to help fill up the banquet. You know, we always joke and say this is not a spectator sport. You know, this is an interactive experience. But that's what serving God is. It's an interactive experience. It wasn't, you know, honestly, God didn't need our help. He could have just saved the whole world on his own and, and just, just done something miraculous. And, and just he could, he could just share the, the message of the cross from the heavens without us being involved. But he chose not to do it that way. He chose to put the most important message the world has ever heard in our hands. He said, go, now you share the message. You make it known. You tell everyone you can. And if we were to pause for a moment, I'm sure all of us could think of someone in our lives that needs Jesus. Why don't we do that right now? Why don't we just close our eyes right where you are and just ask, ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, bring somebody to my mind. Who, who, who do I know that is far from you? Maybe there's a face that came to your mind or a name that came to your mind. Somebody in our lives that needs Jesus. They Listen, they need an encounter. You can open your eyes. They need an encounter with God the way that you and I have had an encounter with God. They need Jesus. People need Jesus. They, and whatever they're going through, Jesus has the answer. And God, could it be that God put you in their life? So that you could be the light in the darkness. Did you know that light shines best in the darkness? What's interesting about light is that when it's brought into a dark space, the darkness leaves. The light never becomes part of the dark. It never says, oh, darkness, that's cool. Let me be, I'm just going to want some of your darkness in my light. 
No, the, the light dispels the darkness. And so I just encourage you, let the light in you shine. You know, it, like if, if people get around you and they feel uncomfortable cursing a little bit, that's the light in you. Come on, somebody. That's good right there. That's 83% better than y'all amen, but that's okay. And so I just want to encourage you this week, like especially this week, leading up to Easter, man, you have a, you have a high percentage opportunity to get a yes of somebody coming to church with you because it's Easter, just because of the time and the season and, and all this kind of stuff. And so I just encourage you, be bold this week. We got cards like these out in the lobby. Um, take some of these with you. Put them at work. Buy some donuts. Put them in the break room. Put the box of cards in with the donuts. Maybe not on top of the donuts because that's, uh, but maybe put them next to the box of donuts or something. Um, you know, there's all kinds of ways. I love hearing about it. Uh, one of our, our dream teamers, uh, George and Elena, were telling me about they were out at garage sales just inviting. He's like, oh, I think we invited 50 people to Easter. Just like there's opportunities everywhere you go to invite people. And, and this is a season where people are open more than everywhere you go. And, and so I want to give us a couple quick things as we're getting ready to close. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and start my first close. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever been in this moment. It's, it's one thing to talk about sharing our faith. But then you get in that moment where somebody finds out you go to church. You know what I'm talking about? Or they start talking about you know, the Bible or something, and then, then they find out you're a Christian, and they're like, oh, well, what do you think about this? And did you hear about this leader who did that? And what do you think about that? Or what do you think about the dispensation of the Spirit? And all this. <laughs> Anybody ever been in that moment? And then all of a sudden, it's like that movie Inside Out is coming to life on the inside of you, and panic lights are going off, and you're like, what do I say? Is that just me? Okay, praise the Lord. I got the right message today then. You know, uh, so I just, <laughs> I just want to equip you with a couple of, like, practical ways in that moment. Like, like, what do we say? What do we do in that moment to share our faith with people? Like, it's not as scary as it sounds, okay? And, and one thing I will tell you is that the results are never up to you. So can I just free you of that burden? Like, it is not your job to make sure that they say yes to Jesus. The Bible says that only through the Holy Spirit drawing people to Jesus can, can people be saved. Like, we don't save people. You are not anyone's savior. You are the messenger. You are the witness. This is what Jesus did in me. He can do something for you. Okay? So our job is not to save people. Our job is to be the witness. And so here's a couple uh, easy things that you can do to help share your faith uh, with people, not an exhaustive list, but just a great starting point. Number, just invite them to church. Sometimes you can get bogged down in the weeds like, well, how do I lead them in the center of prayer and all that kind of stuff? And if you want to know more about that, like we can help you with that in one-on-one -on -one and in a small group. But like just start at the place. Why don't you just come to church with me on Sunday? <laughs> I'll pick you up. I'll give you a ride. I'll send you a text that morning. I'll save you a seat. Invite them to church. Here's another great way to share your faith with people. Just, just ask them, can I pray for you? Like when you come across somebody and they look like something's messed up in their life or they just look like something's not right, there will be a moment, the Spirit of God inside of you will be like, pray with them. There'll, there'll be that moment of discernment inside of you and you've probably all sensed it. You've thought it was just like, oh, I wonder what's going on. It's not just something natural. That's the Spirit of God inside of you drawing you to them. It's the light wanting to break through the darkness in them. And so just in that moment, if you'll be willing to like, 
step out in boldness and be like, hey, how's everything going? Can I pray with you about anything? And listen, when you pray with somebody, you don't need to pray in the King James. You don't need to be a professional prayer. Just like, God, would you just bless so-and-so? I always ask them their name. What can I, oh, okay, okay, John. John, God, would you please bless John? Whatever he's going through right now, God, I just pray that he would be able to sense how much you love him. And what, just pray for the need. Just let the Spirit of God pray through you. The Bible says that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's that he prays when we don't know what to pray. He will pray when we don't know, like, just like ask for help. Like, God, I don't know what to pray right now. Will you please help me? Like, pray for people. Here's another great way is invite them to your connect group. Now, this is really hard if you're not in a connect group, but <laughs> um, that's my way of inviting all of you to groups. But really, you need to be in a group. That's what discipleship takes place. That's where somebody gets to know your life and what's been going on and where you can pray with each other. Like invite them to your group because it's in that context of, of relationship where we're gathered around a table, maybe gathered around some tacos or whatever it is, and we can just talk and share life. Like, man, that's where discipleship, that's where you help somebody take another step in their faith and be like, it's okay, I'm gonna go through this with you. I'm gonna call you tomorrow. You're gonna make it, it's not too late. You're like, we're gonna get through this thing together. That's discipleship, and that's a great way to share your faith, and it happens in that relational small group. Another great way to share your faith is just offer compassion where life is pressing on people. I don't know if you looked around our world, but man, life is pressing in hard on people. People are struggling in countless ways. And what if we just had compassion on people? Just like cared for the needs of people. You can just begin to care for people. Another great way is to just share your story, share your testimony. We are the most effective in sharing our faith in Jesus when we're talking about the change that has happened in our life. The most effective is when you say, man, my life was broken. I was addicted to this. I was felt like I was no good. I felt like, uh, you know, whatever it was, whatever your story. And then I came to Jesus and I just, I gave him everything and my life changed. And now I'm able to be here. People will be more attracted to Jesus because of what God is doing in you than winning any theological argument or discussion or anything like that. I think about all the places where Jesus ministered to people, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. What did Jesus do? Did he get down and debate theology with her? Well, no, he pulled her up out of the dirt. said, woman, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. Like there was grace. He pulled her up out of the place. That's what we're called to do. Extend the grace and the truth of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We hope today's message helps you take another step closer to knowing God and finding freedom through His Word.